there are other people out there who have the same questions, the same desires, directionality and approach to doing what I think we all want to do, which is like we want to find the way to you know, just make the world a little bit more habitable, a little bit more curious, a little bit more inspirational, a little bit more activating of the imagination. Welcome to Journey with Purpose. This is your host, Randy Plummel. You're listening to episode 10, and I'm here with my friend, Julian Bleeker. He's one third of the design consultancy Near Future Laboratory. Now, Julian helped define the craft of design fiction, which translates trends, consumer research, and inspired advanced concepts into tangible, relatable, and actionable forms. You can see some examples in the show notes, and you can look at his website, nearfuturelaboratory.com. And how's it going? Super excited to talk to you. As we were preparing for this podcast, it's kind of an experiment as we're both going to share this footage, this tape, this digital tape, and we're going to cut it our own way. And I've never done that before. Yeah, that, that's it. And that's I think that's thing. kind of cool because I don't know about you, but for these conversations, I usually become to them hyper prepared, almost like I'm doing a design research interview where I have a discussion guide. I think about what the arc of the story is. I think about where are the places I want to get to. And I ask people to literally re-say things two or three times if I think they can do it better. So it's way more produced than what I like about your podcast. They seem way more loose. And there's something about uh, maybe I just need to let go and be a little bit more free-flowing, but I haven't gotten there yet in my yeah. mental idea of what a podcast could or should be or what I, I want to put out in the world. So here's the Mutual Admiration Society because I envy your prep. Like when I listen to your, listen to your episodes, it's like, it's so tight. And, and, and I mean that in, in the kind of way where it's like, man, how should I be doing that? You know, you have these, you start asking these questions. And your episodes are, or the nature of them feels like they're like the perfect size. And, and I struggle with that. I, I don't get tons of feedback from the, the podcast, um, which is fine, but sometimes they'll come back. I, mean, I remember one time, which really, it stuck with me. They should, can they be shorter? Like maybe, like maybe like a 20 minute, you know, snackable kind of thing. And I was like, hmm, yeah, um, I like that idea and I get it. And I, and I want to, in a way, like a short, and then all these other voices start crowding in saying that that sounds like work <laughs> to edit it and, and and also the prep so like be prepared for just to kind of have some tight questions already formulated and then another voice comes to my head with a with a old friend of mine from way back in like early dot-com days who is now it sort of advises people on podcasts or something uh, that, that to that effect i said how long should the podcast be and she said the podcast should be as long as it needs to be. And I was like, check. Got it. Thank you. That gives me a lot of freedom. <laughs> yeah, it's it's an interesting medium because at one end, some of my favorite podcasts are like the Rewatchables. And it's like four bros talking about The Departed for the fifth time. I don't know if I have the skills or want to create that. And that's what's interesting as in my day job is making things. And oftentimes that's a piece of digital interaction or a process or something physical. 
podcast feel both more freeing and also I don't want to waste people's time. Then the other little angel on me is like, well, just like you said, the episode could be as long as you want it to be because that's the story you want to tell. I wonder for you when you're trying to invite people on and intentionally tell a story, are you looking for anything or is it just the process and seeing sort of where it goes? So as you're, as you're describing that, I was you know, trying to formulate like, yeah, why do I do it the way I do it? And the first thing that kind of percolated up was sort of like my, my earlier response, which is like, I just, I, I just want to kind of slam these things out there because I, I feel such a passion for the, the work that people like you and me do. I don't even, I, I just, I'm lumping it all into something that I just said, like the practice, which I think is like bringing creativity to the kind of very analytic organizations and structures. And we need to, in, you know, in, infuse and integrate the creative consciousness into that. So how do you do that? I don't know. There are a bunch of different things that, that folks do. And, you know, generally now I've gotten to the point where it's like I'm kind of like loathe to kind of create all the, you know, do more kind of rationalization by creating these silos. It's like, well, is it like design research or is it like futures design? It's like, yes, all that. So, so that kind of motivates me to just do, do as much of these conversations and just feeling like if a lot of materials out there in and around this, people start sensing and feeling into it and realize, feel like, oh my God, there's something going on that I maybe need to pay attention to. So that, that's part of it. But then the other part of it is I've been drawing from like a, like an earlier phase of my, my life when I was a musician, I played music and my real passion was, was jazz. I played in like rock bands doing covers of like the clash and stuff. This is, this is all going, I'm, this, I'm talking about, I'm going back to high school, right? Part of what I loved about jazz was motivated by the fact that I was never really good at reading music and with jazz, if you know enough of your music theory, basically, you can drop in, you know, using using your ears and, and just kind of like looking around at what people are doing. And maybe you might, you know, you might look at, at the piano like, oh, OK, I know I know what changes he's doing. I got this. this is, we're just going to do this thing. And I was in this little band called Little Sunflower. We were just high school kids. And we would play these adult, I grew up in Princeton, New Jersey. So they'd be like kind of Tony, like kind of parties, dinner parties and that kind of stuff. And we would get these gigs. And I think it was because people were like, hey, this, you know, it's amazing. Let's, let's, let's get these like 17, 16, 17 year olds to play at our cocktail party. And I can still feel this feeling of like, we're slamming. Like, this is amazing. You know, and we're, do and doing, we're doing classic covers. And we had, the, had this thing, it was called The Real Book, which was basically kind of pirated charts. You know, so they would just write it out. It's a nice, big, thick book. And it was always, it was so precious because it was physical. And, you know, there was no internet, so you had to, like, find your way to get it. And there was a place in, in Boston. Every once and again, the high school jazz band would play a concert there. And, you'd, and people would be like, go get it. Go get the new real book. And so, you know, you'd open it to a page, and they'd be all, like, kind of dog-eared, find the one that you want to play. And then you just kind of, like, look at it, and it's like, right. And you're always, and it wasn't, like, looking at the notes. It was looking at the changes that were written above it. And I just loved that, that you could just come in almost cold. And if you had some technical skills and you had a good ear, and you could feel the vibe, like, okay, so what's Colin doing on, on, on the drums? Like, okay, this, I know where this is going to go. I just found that so exquisite. It was like this energy that happened around that. I still love that. If you're doing a workshop with a client, oftentimes, for good reasons, they, they're like, so just give us the run of show for this. What are we going to be doing over the next two days? I got, I got a thing next week. And it's like, okay. you kind of you give it to them so you've got the times. But at the same time, you know, it's like, I'm going to come in here and this is going to be amazing. And it's going to become amazing because of the energy that's going to be brought into a room to improvise 
which is where I think imagination loves to just kind of luxuriate and thrive and kind of do somersaults and be like, Hey, what's this over here? Like, let's see, let's play with this. And the interference oftentimes is like, okay, so we got five more minutes to do this. It's like, wait, what? Like this, this is happening. It's happening right now. It's just like, if someone, if you said, you know, you're, you're, you're playing in little sunflower, right? And Steve Billington on, on, on trumpet is in a solo and you'd be like, okay, see if you got, two more bars and then we got to bring it home. It's like, no, <laughs> you don't do that. You know, and you could tell when he's like ready to kind of like come out of it. He's like, you know, I'm almost wrapped. I'm, I've said what I need to say. You don't even, this isn't the eye contact. You see it in his shoulders or something. You just hear what you're feeling. And so that's, for me, the music metaphor applies to the conversations that you might have with someone in a, in a podcast. Like, let's see where this goes. Take from that is practice and reps and not in the 10,000 hours type thing, but getting to a point where you can feel that groove. And then that matter of trust in the people you're jamming with and trust in yourself that you know where you want to go. Because I, I've, I've been the same place as you were, you know, big fortune 10 company is giving you a bag of money for a bag of innovation and you have to deliver in two days, even if you've told them that, that bag of money could be used in a better way as a small business owner. You take that bag of money, right? I've been thinking a lot about some of your phraseologies around imagination versus structure. And I've really come to the idea that I personally need to find the minimum amount of structure so I can deviate from it. When I was an architect or when I practiced architecture, I was never an architect. I was really obsessed with grids for a while. I went through a grid phase, Richard Meyer, things like that. And what I liked about them is that, that what's cool about a grid is that much like a musical notation is that it gives you a armature to deviate from. I always think about that when I'm also working with colleagues where oftentimes I try not to call things workshops or meetings. I almost always call them jam sessions just to emphasize that we're going to do it together. And that togetherness is something that as a small business owner, oftentimes doing things alone, I'm always looking for ways to plus up the contract so I can jam with other people. Not that I necessarily want a bigger bag of money, but that's nice. But it's more about collaborating and, and bringing people in so that it's not only more fun, but the thing that we make together is better. And so that's why I'm always interested in the discord and the hyper collaborative that you've managed to both seed and also seed control in some areas mm -hmm. as someone who is, who likes control, but is actively trying to release that control. There's something really fascinating to me about it because it does feel a little bit like jazz where you're setting people up or you're helping or to set the groundwork and be like, oh yeah, why don't you go run with that? You want to make a book about electric sheep that's generated by a large language model generator, and we can go print that, go do that. Let's go, let's go try. The, the metaphor that I come to is it's like a music festival. Like I, when I think of, when I think of it, sometimes I refer to it as like, I want to create a festival. Some people have taken that literally and not metaphorically, which is cool. I mean, I don't even know what the difference between the metaphor and the literal thing would be other than some people say like, okay, cool. Let's plan that. Where should it be? I feel that because it, it does come from my, you know, the experiences that I've had, which, which, you know, aren't super extensive of going to music festivals. 
where the beautiful thing that I saw, and it was, it was mostly the experience when I was more behind the scenes, uh, helping just kind of create the vibe and, and the spirit of it and kind of, you know, traveling with this, this moving, you know, beautiful, exquisite, confusing, moving carnival. And you'd be like roaming around within on the other side of the festival. So not as a kind of ticket plant paying attendee, but as someone who's like, oh, I got to go over there and do this other thing. And I remember the big festival with, you know, at the proper musicians, no matter what the time, but back in the day, you're kind of like, wow, okay, cool. Dang. Hey, Lenny, what's going on? You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's a bit, it was a big deal, but the, and there was just such a spirit to it and a certain sense of like deep, rich, creative collaboration. This is how I'm remembering it. I'm, I'm you know, creative people are, are complex. So who knows what was going on behind the thing, behind the thing. Like, man, I hate that guy. Who knows? But that's not what I felt. I felt this, like, we're creating this experience for people. And I can feel that the people who are, you know, the ticket-paying attendees are like, I'm here for this. I'm here for this feeling that can happen when you have the creative synergy of having multiple, normally organized as discrete units, right? You know, there's Joan Osborne, there's Lenny Kravitz, there's the Spin Doctors, there's Blues Traveler. But when they're all together, and they'd be like, oh, damn. Like, of course, you know, so-and-so is going to walk out when so-and-so is playing like one of the headliner acts. Like, oh, special treat, welcome. You know, you're just like, wow. Yes, of course. And then, you know, all through the day, the thing's going on. My brother's band played on this work, the workshop stage. So it was like a, one of the, one of the you know, handful of side stages. And the workshop stage was where really interesting things happened because it was a workshop stage. So where, where, it was where ideas were experimented and prototyped. Not just, it, you know, in terms of like one solo musician being like, Hey, I'm going to try to do some, you know, I'm going to play with the synthesizer and it's going to be weird. It's, it, it would be like a couple of musicians who, you know, probably just woke up and it's two o'clock in the afternoon and they're just kind of getting, you know, just coming into the world and be like, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm, why not warm up over at the workshop stage and, and pull another musician in or whatever who, you know, and then later at, you know, seven or eight o'clock, you're going to see them on the, the main stage doing their kind of proper set or whatever. And I love that spirit. And that, as, as you're putting it, like jam, it was jam. And I want to ask you a question about the jam because th that resonates with me. And I'm always experimenting with, particularly now with like try to represent to structure, right? So to the, to the people with the, with the budget, what do we do and how do we do it? And, and what is it going to bring to you? And, you know, you want to find the way to make it enticing. So they're kind of like, wow, okay, this sounds about right. And you also want to find the way to, to plus one, the thing. So it can be like, Hey, there are these three people who I want to bring in from across the network. And I think they're going to bring exceptional value to the, to this jam session. You know, so it's like, I know that you want to just have piano, bass and, and drums, but Randy plays a mean flute. Let's, let's bring Randy in. And Will is really great on the flugelhorn. I think this is going to be amazing. You guys feeling this? And you so you want so when you say jam session, do you say jam session? Oh yeah, I I, yeah. I even put it on the invite. I work for a state government now, and so that is the epitome of structure, right? But part of my job is to help bring imagination to that structure, and so it brings me such joy to title a meeting invite jam sesh with a head of an agency that does really important things. I think language and structuring things are an important recipe for both setting expectations, but also allowing people to be free. I think what is interesting is how do we create 
the permission or permissiveness for people to do what they want to do or do something different. But in some cases, it comes back to trust, right? If that structure that ultimately needs to sign the check, if you can define that value and you have that trust, then they'll do it. So a good example of that is I did a project. This was this was when I, I worked for IDEO. It was for a giant international hotel. And they wanted to understand how do you localize a brand to Southeast Asia? And of course, because it's a Western brand, they looped in like, way too many independent cultures and areas and countries that have deep, deep differences. And we were in Australia and I wanted to go diving. I was able to talk our client to the barrier reef and spend three days on a liveaboard. It was a budget liveaboard. And in the beginning, she was like, mm, Randy, I don't, I think you just want to go diving. And I said, yeah, I do want to go diving, but this is also what we're going to do. We're going to learn about standard operating procedure. We're going to understand what you need. We're going to, we're going to do all these things. And by the way, it's on a weekend and we've been doing research for two weeks straight. And so we're going to take some time off and also learn from it. So she's like, ah, I don't really know. I think I, I can see it, but I, I trust you. So we did it. It was awesome. I got to dive three, three times a day. And we really did interviews with people afterwards for the rest of the project for like the next two months, she kept going back to that moment and we learned so much about it. And even in the end, when we were presenting to basically the EVP of that whole region, basically we talked about that, those events and how it unlocked things. And so I like those situations where you can both and it, you can have fun mm -hmm. and you can learn something, but some of it has to come down to trust and a compelling story. And also your own your trust in yourself. I think probably on reflection, imagining how, how as you're describing it, the sense that there's probably some lurking someplace back in the back of your mind. It's like, this is, this is good for the project, you know, in, in the sense of imagining kind of locked in a, in a room for two weeks or, you know, whatever it was, or do, the structure is represented through like what I'm assuming is kind of quite analytic work, assuming that there's an answer here someplace, keep digging, keep digging. And that, that kind of panic of like, I don't know, you know, like we're, we're, we're going about this in a, in a very particular way that, you know, I'll just, you know, assume the kind of extreme case that I can imagine where it's like, uh, where, where is the, where is imagination in this? How do we bring this into that? And the, the sense that, I don't know, you know, being under an enormous blue sky on top of an enormous blue body of water, somewhere in there is something deep and primal that will help with the unlock. It'll help with that and the experience of it, because it is, it's a full on somatic experience, everything from the motion of a boat to like the weightlessness of floating around, of, you know, smelling the spray water, maybe feeling a little bit seasick, all those things, they're going to stick. They're going to be part of what you bring back and the and the the touch point through which you unlock a reflection on you know the the heavily analytic work. It'll be the chapter heading for the analytic prose of some insight from some analytic research. It'll be the point of entry that will that will live. That will, you'll feel it. It'll live in you. It won't be like yeah, there was something in that 
I think it was the third three ring binder, the one with the blue cover, maybe. Could you, I can't remember what it was. You, you'll, you'll find those reference points, those indices into that kind of work because you've, you've laminated this other embodied experience on top of the whole project. That, I'm going to use that. I'm going to, that's when, so when I tell someone, I was like, we're going to go, I know you guys are in the Bay Area. We're going to go to Detroit. That's where we're going to do this. This part of Journey with Purpose is brought to you by our classified section. Edison Electric is looking to enroll the next class of in-field hydraulic power apprentices. This cohort will help maintain and repair the fleet of marine and littoral power generators located throughout the lower valley. Scuba certification along with grade school certification is required. Credits and expulsions will be considered. Although background check is required, upon graduation, apprentices will be cleared of all background issues and will be asked to relocate to the Cattell region. Oxygen breathers only, no exceptions allowed. And now back to the show. Yeah, I love designing experiences where we get people out of both their comfort area and we give them an excuse not to be on their mobile device and having to answer emails that come every few minutes and the ability to both get people out of their comfort zone, but doing it together, like you said, a shared experience. I'm always an advocate to get people out of their context. So it gives them that permission structure for them to look at the world anew, or at least look at the world through their expert eyes and help them tell you about it. Generally as a consultant, who I'm parachuting in and out of context all the time. I both have to be very aware and conscious that I'm not getting the full story and trying to leverage the experts that have been dealing with it so that they can tell us what is really happening. Because it's no surprise as a consultant, how many of the recommendations have actually come from the people in that organization and you've just either laundered it wholesale or you've synthesized it from a variety of people. And that's both maybe an indictment of consultmanship, but also an indictment of sometimes you just need to get out of your context and give that permission structure so you can see the problem from a different angle. I think back to when I was uh, when I was working at Nokia, so kind of on the other side. And the, one of the things that I most look forward to was going off site, or even even going to another studio. You know, one of the studios around the world or whatever, going to London in order to you know workshop just broadly or or to you know reconsider idea. When I listen to what you're saying, it was the the feeling of just going to another place, getting out of the studio you know, here in Los Angeles and just seeing things differently and also just being amongst other people. And part of, part of me wonders is like, is that if you're doing the kind of work that you and I do and, you know, lots of other people do, how much of it is like facilitating that kind of feeling to get people to try to find unlock, as opposed to like uh, the, you know, the, the, the consultant who's like, um, yeah, I'll build, build your website where it's very kind of like pragmatic, practical, the deliverable is a, you know, is a box. Like we know we're going to get a box or any kind of service bureau in a, in a kind of flat-footed understanding of what, what that is. Because sometimes I, sometimes I really get lost. I, I feel the value of what, what I do or, you know, what I understand that Expedition Works does. I get it. It's like, yeah, of course. 
And at the same time, it's like when someone's like, so tell me, where's the value? What's the key value proposition for what you do? And it's almost like, I feel like, a, not, not quite a loss for words, but I feel like the words that come out, because I'm trying to make it legible to people, are, I'll look back at them and be like, wait, what does that even mean? <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, yeah, this is, this is always my bane. Always my bane. The beginning of a project, you've probably written a scope of work and you've agreed to something. Even if it's, if it's a deck, if it's a recommendation, is it a thing? And then there's like this trough of like, oh crap, what are we actually doing? Because the universe in the beginning can be quite large. And that's where I think our value is making things so that we can show people saying, okay, does this live in mm -hmm. the universe or is this part of our universe? And if not, that's awesome because I spent a couple days on it. You're not going to hurt my feelings. Okay. Now our universe is like this. Okay. Now it's like this. Building to think, thinking to build is something that it comes so naturally to me, but then I interact with other people. I'm like, oh yeah, this is not like you live in a world where you want a four page memo or a one cheater or a seven page single space document that we're all going to read together in a conference room and then speak about it. Oh, wow. Yeah. I can't do that. I'm interested in doing that, but the unlock I think for us is in that physicality in my day-to-day -day consult personship. I'm constantly making things and showing it and I'm not precious about it. The value of making things that if you look at it a little too close, you see like the tape and you see that, oh, this thing is, is actually made out of cardstock and I didn't erase the pencil good enough, but don't look at that. That's okay. That's a, another permission structure to critique the idea. How do we find the way to... Well, I, I think it's legitimate, but but so maybe we don't need to find the way. Maybe we just need to find to say these things over and over and over again. You know, so it becomes part of like the idiom within the world that that you and I dot 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 and everyone else needs, which is like we need we need structure because structure has this thing called value, and that value is re represented in these fungible pieces of paper. Right? We can get paid for doing this work. We can bring value to structure. And our instinct as these kind of units of, of imagination and creativity and curiosity is that. And th we find these ways to represent the value in things, in material things. So you're, you know, the, the, I make to think, I make things to represent, you know, feelings and ideas and thoughts and reflections and kind of a synthesis of the things that you structure has said to me or your fears, hopes, dreams, desires. And I, I heard that. It's like, oh, that's cool. Give me a couple of days and I'll have a response. And maybe structures think, well, maybe, you know, maybe structures think it's like, great, we're going to get that seven page single space document that will synthesize what we're saying. It's going to be this, this amazing thing that is legible to us. And it's like, Randy brought us a coffee mug from the future and a New York Times from another world. What is up with this guy? <laughs> what are we supposed to do with this? And so you, you know, you want that, I guess, you know, that, that wouldn't necessarily happen because people would be like, totally going to go to Randy because he brings us stuff. I like the, like the objects, the material artifacts that, that, that is created and it's helping us. It's, I understand how that works. I was just writing down the ways in which one could say and represent, you know, say it enough because like make to think, get it, 
I, of course I get it, but also I wonder like who doesn't get it and how can you clarify that? So I just wrote down like make to imagine, make to think, make to unlock, make to comprehend, make to make sense. Yeah. I think the corollary here is some people just want the thing and that's okay. And so our job as experts and practitioners is that we have to deliver the thing, but what can we deliver in a way that is both actually what they need, not just what they want. A really good example of this is I was working for a, a robotics company and they wanted to know a variety of things. And we gave them insights and opportunities and design principles and a roadmap and service blueprint that fit within their next five years. But we also built and published a robot's guide to the human home from the point of view of a robot from the future so that the robots could understand people that they interact with and what people's expectations of them are. And both of those things became incredibly valuable to this company. The CEO kept a whole stack of them, of the robot's guide to the human home on his desk. And, yeah, of course. you know, maybe the the service blueprint and the other stuff probably became very out of date quickly. But I think that's what they wanted and that's what we legally had to give them because that's what structure told us we had to give them because of a contract. But what they needed was something more human connected. So what, what did we learn today, Julian? Well, it was invigorating to me to just have that feeling of there's, there are other people out there who have the same questions, the same desires, I think, the, and the uh, kind of you know, direct, directionality and approach to doing what I think we all want to do, which is like we want to find the way to you know, just make a little corner of the world a little bit more habitable, a little bit more curious, a little bit more inspirational, a little bit more activating of the imagination. And it's one of the things that I, I, I genuinely enjoy about what you're doing at Expedition Works and Journey with Purpose of the podcast. It's like, it's just such a pleasure because you, you, you know, we're expanding the network, I think. And it's these conversations and discussions that one of my, you know, third down the list of like hopes and desires is like, I, it's, I, I'm, it's like, I'm not a communist, but I want more independent creative operators and I want them to be able to thrive and to find a way to luxuriate into their own desires to produce and create and materialize whatever it is that's kind of like lurking and kind of twirling around in their imagination and represent that as value. And that value is something that the other kinds of places that are more structured and that are trying to do like all the other big, large projects that you and I can't do, like we're not going to go and figure out how to, how to harvest wind energy or something like that. Oh, well, I mean, we might, but we're not going to actually start welding things together and building big infrastructures and that kind of thing is, is to just to operate with them in a, in a collaborative way to operate, you know, across these things and then do the, the other thing as, as I think more independent kind of creative studios come up, not as a alternative, but as an augmentation of what big institutions are going to have trouble doing because they're big and because they got a lot of structure and because a, there's a different kind of mindset and a different kind of consciousness. So hearing that, that there are opportunities for practices like Expedition Works and Near Future Laboratory and on down the list, all the other ones, and and us kind of getting together like in this forum just to talk about it and also and to talk about it not in a kind of where we're being very proprietary about what we do, 
about like we want to work together we want to create the equivalent of like whatever nike x supreme you know the near future laboratory x expedition works or expedition works mm -hmm. x near future Laboratory. what is that what does that look like and then realize that we're stronger together where can we find you you can find me mostly at nearfuturelaboratory.com that's where a lot of the things live and then we've got our fun shop which is you know another bit of an experiment to make and sell artifacts from the, from the future occasionally we're lucky and clients like yeah we love this thing no no no, go ahead and put it up on your shop it's all good and where can we find you journey with purpose you can find it jwp.news and then the parent company expedition works you can find it expedition.works cool thanks julian I want to thank Julian for his time in this little experiment. He is posting his version of our episode on the Near Future Laboratory podcast, which is amazing and well worth your time. I would especially listen to the episode with Stephen Bennett discussing Meow Wolf, public policy, and design fiction. Find it at all your podcast places and in the show notes. Just a reminder, all views on this podcast are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers, past and present. But you knew that already. We have to say it. It's fun. It's hygiene. If you're feeling generous, purchase a pamphlet or subscribe to the podcast at jwp.news. We're a fiercely independent small business, and we love to get this content into your hands and out of our house. I wish you all a safe and joyous holiday season and see you on the internets.